Welcome to the Calvary Community Church Podcast. For more content and information about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryhouston.com. Amen. Thank you. Good morning, Calvary. So this message this morning is called This One Thing, Becoming a People Who Dwell, Behold, and Inquire. This one thing, becoming a people who dwell, behold, and inquire. As I said, the Lord has impressed upon Pastor Jeff and the staff this phrase, holy desire for this year. This, come, this, this 2022, the phrase that is really stirring in our hearts is that phrase, holy desire. And Jeff mentioned last week that holy desire is simply the longing which draws us near to God and to his purposes. It's the longing. That's a, that's, I love that word, a longing. Holy desire is that longing in us that draws us near to God and his purposes. And we heard last week that the primary focus of holy desire is intimacy with God. Pastor Jeff read a quote from Augustine that says, You have made us, O Lord, for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Beloved, all desire, that holy desire in us, it all leads to one thing, God. He is the ultimate fulfillment of all desire. And desire, it's a longing, as I said earlier, it's a yearning, it's a burning. And desire drives us, it motivates us, it propels us. And desire always searches and seeks fulfillment. I want to have an unquenchable passion for nearness to God and for His purposes. This, this topic of desire is really important. A burning heart of holy desire is actually a gift from God. It's a gift that must be asked for. It's a gift that must be sought after, pursued, and cultivated. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, he says this about desires. He says, our best havings are wantings. Our best havings are wantings. In other words, the best thing we could ever have is a longing. The best, thing we, the best things we have are wantings, wanting more of God, wanting nearness to God, wanting to experience God in a fresh way. The very best wantings, or the very best havings are wantings. He also says this in his book, The Weight of Glory. C.S. Lewis says, Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. Let me read that again. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of, of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised to us in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. In other words, consider the fulfillment of desire. What's the ultimate fulfillment of our desire? God, right? When we consider the overwhelming majesty and beauty and glory and power and unquenchable love that is found in God... 
he probably finds our desire to that to be a little bit less than it should be. Our desires, when we look upon God, go, oh, my goodness. He is awesome. I want more. And I believe our level of desire is connected to our level of understanding of who God actually is. When we really get a taste of who God really is, oh, man, our spirits come alive and go, oh, i got to have more. I want more. So join with me in this time saying, Lord, give me more wanting. Give me more desire. Give me more passion. I don't want to cruise through life. Ask him. In 2022, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we, we are going to fuel our holy desire here as a body at Calvary. And we want to be a people of one thing. Let's read Psalm 27.4 together. And today, we're actually going to go kind of phrase upon phrase through the whole Psalm 27.4. Just look at each phrase briefly and have our passion stirred in a fresh way. Psalm 27, verse 4 says this, One thing I have desired of the Lord... That will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. Let's read that one more time. One thing. In fact, if you want to, can we just all read it out loud? One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Amen. So a couple of brief definitions before we dive in. That word desire, when we look at that first phrase, one thing I have desired. That word desire just means to earnestly ask. The word seek in that passage, when it says, one thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek. That word seek means to look for, to pursue, to investigate, or search. To look for, to pursue, to investigate, or search. Now, Psalm 27 is attributed to King David. And although scholars aren't 100% clear on when Psalm 27 was written in the life of David, I believe, just from, from the other verses in this chapter um, and studying the life of David, I believe this was written in the last half of David's life. So he was kind of middle-aged, if not older than that. So David had already slain giants. David had already been anointed as king. David had already had songs written about him. He'd already written wonderful songs that, that people would sing as they would come into the tabernacle. He'd experienced so many good things in life. And of all of those things, he still could turn around and say, but there's one thing I want. I mean, at this time of his life, David had unimaginable wealth. He was a king. He had great wealth, great influence. Everybody knew King David's name. And yet David said, none of that stuff moves me like one thing. I want to dwell with God. I mean, riches were not a motivation for David. Riches were not his primary motivation. That's not what drove him. Even though he was a great king of unimaginable wealth, he was a national hero. He was a famous warrior. This verse gives us insight into what drives David, what preoccupies David's mind, what motivates his heart. 
And with all of the king's responsibilities, all of the decisions he had to make, all of his administrative duties, David longed for unbroken communion with God. So let's look at Psalm 27.4, phrase by phrase. The first phrase is one thing. One thing. When I read this passage this week, again, it struck me, looking at the life of David, how audacious this was for David to make a statement that said one thing. I mean, seriously, David? I mean, just one thing? I mean, surely that had to be some sort of hyperbole, right? Surely, having to, surely David was thinking, one of the things that I desire. I mean, David had other responsibilities. David had a family, yeah? David had to run a nation. How can David say that there was only a, there was one thing that drove him? David said, all of these things I have to do, my preoccupation, the preoccupation of my heart, my priority is be in the face of God. It drove him. It motivated everything about David and everything that he did. The next phrase we're going to look at is the phrase to dwell. So David said, there's one thing that I ask, one thing I seek before I move to dwell, uh, let me back up just a hair. When we see those two words, ask and seek, notice that he said both things. David said, there's one thing I ask and seek. When David says asks, that means it was the preoccupation of his prayer life. There's one thing, oh God, I ask for. When I'm in prayer, the, the, the primary thing I pray for, the preoccupation of my prayer life is this, this verse. So when he says ask, it was the preoccupation of his prayers. When David said this one thing I seek, means it's the preoccupation of his practices. Meaning he seeks after, he gets up and he does something. He's going to look for something. He goes, this is, this is the centerpiece of my prayer life, and this is the centerpiece of all that I do, all that I put my hands to, all that I put my feet to, everything. It comes down to this. And then he says, to dwell. Let's look at that phrase, to dwell. The all-encompassing desire of David's life was to dwell in the house of the Lord all of his days. In other words, David longed to walk in awareness of God's presence and respond in loving obedience to his words. David longed to walk in awareness of God's presence and respond in loving obedience to his words. As I said earlier, fame was not his goal. Power was not his ambition. Wealth was not his target. The great obsession of David's heart was perpetual interaction and intimacy with the God of unsurpassed beauty. Oh, God, that we could have a heart like David. Amen. So to dwell simply means to take up residence daily. To take up residence daily. This daily, organic, natural intimacy with God was what David meant when he said, I long to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. That, that phrase to dwell, if we want to look at a New Testament uh, phrase or New Testament word, it would be the word abide. Turn to John 15. I had you turn there. John 15. The word is abide. So Jesus talks about the same idea, to dwell with God, to dwell in the house of the Lord. Jesus uses the word abide in John 15. 
And using a grapevine and a vine dresser as an illustration, Jesus unfolds the glorious transforming power of dwelling or abiding in him. I'm going to read John 15, verse 5 and verse 16. I'm going to mesh them together just for sake of time. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides or dwells in me and I in him bears much fruit. And verse 16 says, and I choose you that your fruit should remain. So what Jesus is saying here is that as we abide in him, as we dwell with and in him, our lives are transformed and we bring forth fruit. Now, the bring, bringing forth the fruit is both inwardly, there's both an inward transformation of inward fruit of godliness. It's also outward fruit in terms of ministry and service to others. But our lives bear fruit when we dwell, when we abide with God. So the climate that is necessary for this kind of fruit to remain in our lives is ongoing, intimate interaction and friendship with God. So what does this look like practically? What does it look like? So, okay, Joshua, we hear you. David's preoccupation was to dwell in the house of the Lord. What does that look like for us? Like practically, what does it look like to dwell with God? Dwelling with Christ involves the following activities, and it, it, this is not a, an exhaustive list. Number one, gazing on God's beauty by meditating on his character, his nature, and his personality. To dwell with God is to sit before him and, and, to, uh, and to gaze with a longing heart upon who God is, his character, his nature, his personality. It also involves regularly talking to God. So I dwell in a house with my wife, right? How is that going to work if we never talk? I'm not dwelling with her. Just because we live in the same house doesn't mean we're dwelling with one another. There has to be interaction. It's communication. So to dwell, to abide with somebody means to communicate with them. So not only do we meditate on the character and nature of God, but we regularly talk to God. Dwelling with God also actually looks like this, actively listening to God. Communication is a one-way street, true or false? We all know better, right? Communication is a two-way thing. So we want to commune, communicate with God. Yes, we talk to God regularly, but then we have to sit and listen. God loves to communicate. He loves to talk. Now, there's, there are many ways he talks to us. I don't mean you're always going to sit in your little spot in your room and hear an audible voice, but the, Lord, there, the Bible has many, many ways that God speaks to us. He speaks to our hearts. He speaks to us from another, uh, another friend or somebody speaking a word to us. He speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us through nature. The psalm says that, that the heavens declare the glories of the Lord. But we have to sit and listen, and we have to take time. So dwelling with God looks like meditating on his character, talking to God regularly, actively listening to God, and intentionally applying his promises. I'm a father of three. Sometimes I call them my three daughters. Sometimes I call them my three sermon illustrations. Intentionally applying God's promises. Hearing God is one thing, but setting your aim 
to do what he says is a whole different deal. Setting your aim, setting your heart. When, when you think of intentionality, think of aim. Like you're aiming a, you know, like a, a BB gun or something. Where, where am I setting my aim? That's the intentionality. Is my aim set towards obeying what he just told me to do? Because it's easy for me to tell one of my daughters, hey, clean your room. And then I might go down there later and it's not clean. I say, oh, I'm sorry, did, did, you hear, did you hear me earlier when I asked you to clean your room? Oh, I heard you. Okay. So hearing is one thing. But intentionally setting your heart to obey is a completely different deal. And that's part of abiding with God. And then lastly, again, it's not an exhaustive list, but lastly, deliberately obeying his leadership. So he tells us to do things. We say, yes, sir. And then we continue to follow his leadership. We continue. That's called remaining in the vine. We continue to follow him in all of his ways because he's a good shepherd, right? And he leads us so well. So when David was saying, there's one thing I ask, you know, I've actually, I'm not a very, I'm not very good at math. Any math people in here? You, you love numbers. You love crunching numbers. You love spreadsheets. You love long division. You're weird. Anybody? Anybody like that? Spreadsheets make me twitch. I just can't, like I, I took college algebra four times. I'm not kidding. Like it just does not click with me. I don't, I was good at math until you started throwing letters in there. Like what on earth? If you just give me numbers and say you get a number for an answer, I was good at that. When you said you're going to start adding and multiplying letters and getting numbers for answers, I'm out. I'm out. But I always thought it was interesting when David says, there's one thing I ask. I want to dwell in the house of the Lord, gaze upon his beauty, and inquire in his temple. How many things did he say he asked for? How many things did he list? Okay, David, you were a great warrior. You were a great king. You're a fantastic songwriter. You're a horrible mathematician. What is he, what is David saying? There's one thing I want. Here's three things. Here's how I think we need to read this passage. David said, there's one thing I desire to dwell with God, to do these things. I want to be in God's presence. Why? So that I may gaze upon his beauty, and inquire in his temple. You see how that works? It is one thing. He wants to dwell. But why dwell? What's the big part of dwelling in the house of the Lord? What's the big part of dwelling with God? He goes, oh, because when you're dwelling with God, you get to gaze upon his beauty, and you get to interact with him in this temple. That's what David longed for, intimacy with God. This is a man that Jesus that God said is a man after my own heart. May we be a people who are preoccupied with God's presence like David. May we be a people who earnestly ask and seek for one thing, to be near to God, to dwell in the house of the Lord so that we might experience his glory and interact with him all the days of our lives. The next phrase I want us to look at is this, to behold. So we looked at one thing I desire of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord to behold. Let's look at that phrase, to behold. David said that he longs to live and walk in awareness of God so that he might behold or gaze upon the beauty of God. 
David was preoccupied. David was fixated on God's beauty. Now, before some of you men start to check out, because I'm about to start talking about beauty, hang on, hang on with me now. The women like the beauty part. Oh, he's talking about beauty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's going to be my jam right here. The men are like, beauty, man, come on, man. Give me his power. Urgh. But guys, I'm telling you, David was a man's man. David was one of the manliest men I've ever even heard of. David would just, he killed thousands of people with his bare hands. He killed so many people, they wrote songs about how many people he killed. Go back and read the story. The, the, the ladies would run through the area after he had killed uh, Goliath, and he went and was, was leading the charge, and they said, Saul has killed his thousands, David his ten thousands. How many of you had songs written about you about how many people you've ripped to shreds with your bare hands? I mean, David would just take your life for looking at him funny. David, David was a man's man. He killed giants. He was a dude. And he said, there's one thing I want to do is gaze on beauty. You want to tell David he's a sissy for wanting to look on beauty? At your own risk. So, guys, this, this is who we are. God made us. He fashioned us with something in our spirits to say, I want to gaze on the glory and the majesty of God. So what does it mean to behold the beauty of God? What does that look like? What does it mean? Well, the word for behold in this passage simply means to gaze, to look upon, and this word is also sometimes translated to prophesy. To prophesy. All right, let's look at that word prophesy for just a second. Jesus lived prophetically. That's who he was. It was natural. Jesus, he, Jesus was, the Bible calls him a prophet, priest, and king. He, he was prophet. He was prophecy. And what did Jesus say he did? He says, I only do what I see the Father doing. I gaze, I behold at my, my Father, and I do what I see prophecy, to behold, to look upon the Lord. You see, we talk a lot about the phrase grace of awareness. If, you, if you've been around Calvary for, for any amount of time, you've probably heard this phrase, the grace of awareness. That was that first word we were looking at, to dwell, to, to be aware, to walk in the grace, and we're aware of God's presence. But it doesn't just stop there. The grace of awareness should always lead us to the gaze of adoration. The grace of awareness should always lead us to the gaze of adoration. It's one thing for me to know God's near, I'm in his presence. But now what? Now what do I do when I get there? What do I do when I realize I'm with God? Guys, God's in this room right now. God's here. Okay, God's here. Well, guess what? Even the demons knew that Jesus was near. They said, oh, you're Jesus. Is this the time? I didn't realize this was our time. Jesus said, you know, yes, it's time. Get out of this, dude. And he cast him into the pigs. You know, he cast the demons out. Even demons were aware of Jesus' presence. But what did they not do? They didn't respond with gazing, loving adoration. It's one thing that for us to be live in the grace of awareness, but it should always lead us to the gaze of adoration. Turn to Revelation chapter 4. 
When we talk about beholding the beauty of God, if you're like, well, where does it talk about that in the Bible? If you don't know, just turn to Revelation 4 and 5 and park there for a few decades. And just, ooh, just take it in. Revelation chapter 4. I'm going to look at verse 8. Just as a tiny little snapshot. Who knows? I might just chunk my notes and spend the rest of the time here. I don't know. Revelation 4. This is a description John has taken up in the Spirit to behold the throne room of God. And he begins to write about what he's experiencing. And he says, look at this, these guys here, verse 8. And there's four living creatures, each having six wings, they were full of eyes. Everybody say, full of eyes. They were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day or night, singing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. So God created creatures covered in eyeballs to stand to be in his presence. What do you think a creature full of eyeballs, what do you think is on their job description? Just take a wild stab at what the top of their job description says. To see, to gaze, to behold. To behold what? They're in the throne room. They're surrounding the throne of God, and their job description is just look and be in awe and have your mind blown. That's what they get to do forever. Forever. Now also notice that these eyeball guys never stop seeing day or night. So therefore, they never stop singing day or night. Not sure if you caught that one. Oh, some of you are with me. The ones who never stop beholding, they never stop seeing the glory of God, never stop singing about the glory of God. We want to be a people who declare. We want to be a worshiping house. We want to be a house of worship, a house of declaration, a house of praise. Beloved, if our voices are not going to stop day and night, our eyes have to be open day and night to behold the glory and the majesty of God. Now, what is it that these eyeball dudes are beholding? Well, back up a few verses. It says there's one who's seated on the throne. It says he shines like a jasper stone, like a sardius stone. It says he's surrounded by an emerald rainbow. There's lightning and thunders coming forth from the throne. He's on a sea of glass like crystal, and there's lights shooting up from the sea of glass. Guys, his beauty is beyond anything we could imagine. And when we become a people who gaze upon his beauty, we are preoccupied by his majesty. Beloved, the natural response is going to be a heart of worship and adoration. Why do you think David wrote all the songs in the Psalms? I mean, he didn't write all of them, but I mean, why do, why do you think David wrote all these hundreds of songs? He was a beauty gazer. He was fascinated by who God is. The Bible says that God wraps himself in light as a garment. 
I mean, we're still just sitting here a little bit on this beauty of God thing. I really want us to get this in our spirits. Psalm 104, verse 2. He's wrapped in light. This is the God we're dwelling with. This is the God we, we're intimate with. This is the God we talk to. This is the God who dwells inside of our frames through the indwelling spirit. Revelation 1 says his eyes are like flames of fire. Revelation 4 says he's like a jasper and a sardius stone. Beloved, he is so glorious. And I want to implore you, fix your eyes on Jesus this morning. But gazing at his beauty, gazing at God's beauty is not just about seeing his glorious appearance and his radiant being. It's also about encountering his personality and his character and his nature and his emotions. One of the primary ways that we encounter God is through meditating on his word. We engage with the written word in order to encounter the living word. In other words, when, when we talk about gazing upon God's beauty, it is beholding his glory and his majesty through his word as we meditate. And the way we approach the word is not just to get information out of the word. If all I do when I'm coming to, to, to behold Jesus in the word is just memorize verses, and memorizing verses is really good. I encourage you to do that. But if all I'm doing is taking this word and it just gets to here, I may win a Bible B, but that doesn't necessarily mean my heart's connecting at a deeper level. I mean, I can know every fact about Michael Jordan. I can know his shoe size, his, what, what kind of clothes he wears, where he was born, what his favorite food is, how many points he scored in the, in the final. I can know every fact about Michael Jordan, but if I passed him on the street... He wouldn't know me. I wouldn't. I mean, I don't know him. I know facts about him, but I don't have, I don't know Michael Jordan. I wish I did. But we can know all the facts about God. That doesn't mean we're beholding and dwelling and, and, and inter, interacting in a way that produces intimacy with him. We're just memorizing stuff. Beloved, we, the, we engage this written word for the purpose of encountering the living word, it leads us to a person. Amen? And you've heard that around here. Pastor Steve has drilled that into us. All right, so we've looked at the phrase one thing. And we've looked at the phrase to dwell with God. We've looked at the phrase to behold his beauty. Let's look at the next phrase, to inquire to inquire in his temple. The Hebrew word here for inquire simply means to make an inquiry or to seek out an answer. The word I like to use here, um, and I'm not saying that this is the Hebrew meaning, but it's just the word I like to use when I think of inquire in your temple is the word interact. Actually, I just kind of wrote that in the margin of my Bible. To interact with God in that place of intimacy. So David is saying in Psalm 27, 4, that he wants to dwell with God so that he can have his mind blown by the God's beauty, and then he wants to interact with God in that place of intimate communion. David wants to talk with God, and he wants God to talk to him. 
To inquire in God's temple, which is the place of encounter, simply means to exchange thoughts, emotions, and ideas. Psalm 73, Asaph, who wrote Psalm 73, he talks about interacting with God in the place of encounter, and he talks about how when he did, he received answers. Look at this verse, Psalm 73, 16 and 17. Asaph says, when I thought about how to understand this, and when he says this, he's meaning the previous verses. You have to go read uh, the first parts of those chapters to get what he's talking about. He said, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. It was too great. I couldn't understand until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood. I love that passage. Asaph is saying, man, there were some things I just couldn't get, man. I mean, they were tough. I was struggling. I was, oh, this or that. What do I do? I don't know what to do. But I went into the place of encounter. I went into the sanctuary where God is. I got in his presence. I sat at his feet. I beheld his beauty. And then I understood. Beloved, God loves to lead us. He loves to guide us. He loves to speak to us in that place of encounter. So to inquire really actually means to go and interact with God to get an answer, to get direction, to have him speak to you. And sometimes it may not be direction. Sometimes it may need to be some things that he needs to speak off of you. Some of, some of us have bought into all the lies we've heard spoken over our over our lives. We buy into and we have all these lies telling us who we are, that we're just a hopeless hypocrite, that we'll never amount to anything. Beloved, one word from the mouth of God can break off a thousand lies that you've believed over your life. One word. If one touch of his garment can heal the lady with the issue of blood, one word from his mouth can shatter all the lies that you've been told about yourself. And Asaph said, man, I, I, was, I was troubled. But I got in God's presence. Understanding came. You want to you know who you are? Are you struggling with identity? You want to know who you are? Get in the face of God. And listen to what he, who he says you are. You're struggling with direction. You're struggling financially. You're struggling with relationships. Get in the face of God. Now, it's really easy to think, well, Joshua, you're talking about all this sitting and just gazing. Oh, we need to get to the real work, you know? Like, I don't have time to do all that gazing stuff. I've got, just give me answers and I'm going to go. Beloved, I, we cannot get true, deep intimacy with God through a drive through window. We just can't. And I'm sorry to be the one to tell you this because I know we all work 50, 60, 70 hour weeks. We've got five kids. We're driving them to soccer games. We're doing laundry. We're changing diapers. We are busy. Absolutely 100%. We are busy people. But beloved, we've got to find the time to sit and behold. We have to. It cannot be done on the fly. We can't just snap our fingers and just say, oh, now I have this great relationship with the Lord. We've got to spend time talking to him. Now, you can do that while you're changing diapers. You can do that while you're driving down 290. 
In fact, I encourage you to talk to him while you're driving down 290. That's highly encouraged. But to inquire in his temple just is speaking of interacting with God, talking and listening. God is a speaking God. And when we speak God's words back to him, we call that intercession. When we come into agreement with who God is, we call it worship. When we come into agreement with God, what God has promised to do, that's intercession. That's what inquiring is, it means, to inquire in his temple. It means to hear his words and to speak words back to him. Again, we, we, the, that word intercession, God speaks to us and it moves our hearts. We speak those words back to him and it moves his heart. That's how this whole thing works. And it is kind of easy. It's easy. I've told this story before. Sorry, Eliana, I'm going to tell it again. I told you I have three sermon illustrations that God gifted me with. But when David's talking about inquiring, he's talking about speaking, listening, and speaking words back to God. Intercession and prayer is simply that easy. God speaks to us through his word. He speaks to our hearts. We actually just get to repeat those same words back to him, and he counts that. <laughs> it's that easy. We just repeat what we've heard. So, when Eliana was young, much younger, much, much younger, Eliana, she all, Eliana was always able to speak very clearly at a young age. I mean, she, she was very articulate. But there was one word she struggled with. And that was, it's a difficult word, trust me. This is one of the hardest words to pronounce. It's the word pizza. Pizza. She could say a thousand different words and say them so clearly, but when she came to pizza, she would say, I want some doodah. <laughs> doodah, like zippity doodah, zippity. Zippity pizza. I mean, she, she called pizza doodah. And so I was like, well, this is strange. Maybe she can't say her peas. You know, maybe she just has a problem with the peas. So like, Eliana, can you say papa? She said, papa. Okay, all right. Say um, pawpaw. Pawpaw. Okay, good. She's got that. Say pizza. Doodah. <laughs> so over time, it was just, okay, Eliana, I want you to look at the words that are coming out of my mouth. And I, I would get real close to her and say, look at my lips. Pizza. Pizza. I would just repeat it over and over. Just repeat. Just don't, you don't even have to look. Just listen. <laughs> Pizza, pizza. I would say it over and over again. And finally she would go, pizza. Yes. So what do you want for lunch? Doodah. <laughs> but over time she was able to get it. Why? Because I would just say the word over back to her. I would say it to her. All you have to do, you don't have to understand why the two Zs makes the t sound. You don't even have to understand that. Just repeat my words back to you, me. Oh, daughter, just repeat your father's words back to him. And you know what? Even when she got it wrong, even when she called it doodah, there was still something in my daddy heart that said, oh, I love that. Because even when we get the words wrong sometimes, the Lord's like, ah, I still love that. You don't have to get it all right. You don't have to word your prayers perfectly. You don't have to sound like Billy Graham when you pray. Just repeat my words back to me, and it moves my heart.
David understood this. It's worship and prayer. It's intercession. It's, it's the harp and the bowl of Revelation 5. Passionate worship and fervent prayer are the fruits of a one-thing lifestyle. We're talking about being a people of one thing. A people of one thing. Passionate worship and fervent prayer are the fruits of a one-thing lifestyle. Beloved, if we are going to be a people of one thing, this is what it's going to look like. These are the fruits that grow from a one-thing life. It's passionate worship and fervent prayer. And this is what David was all about. So let's summarize this verse. And to do that, I want you to allow me to do something. I don't always do this, but um, I'm going to read Psalm 27.4 in a different translation. And it's a brand new translation. It's called the Joshua Standard Version. Anybody ever read the Joshua Standard Version? Mandy's heard it. She's edited it quite a few times, trust me. But this is Psalm 27.4 in the Joshua Standard Version, okay? I am not saying this is, should be in the canon. I'm not saying this is Holy Spirit inspired, so don't think I'm rewriting the Bible. Or this is just the way from my study, from looking at the Hebrew, and just the way I understand the passage. This is what Psalm 27.4, this is how it might read if I were to write it. God, there is one thing I long for above all other things. I desperately want to live in the awareness of your presence every single day. Why? Because there is nothing like getting lost in wonder as I worship. And I really love our heart-to-heart -heart conversations. That's Psalm 27, 4. God, there's one thing I long for above all other things. I desperately want to live in the awareness of your presence every single day. Why? Because there is nothing like getting lost in wonder as I worship. And I really love our heart-to-heart -heart conversations. Psalm 27.4. So during this first love fast of 2022, let us be a people who cry out for this one thing, like David. When we fast... We're entering into a voluntary hunger or a voluntary desire. Remember that word from the beginning, desire? That's what hunger is. Hunger is, I, I, I want something. I know there's something out there that can fill me. I want it. So when we're fasting, we're actually entering into a voluntary desire. We're actually causing our bodies to want something. But let's let it be our spirits as we fast that are getting hungry. Oh, I want more of God. I know there's something out there that can fill me, and I want more of it. So fasting positions our hearts to receive this gift of longing from the Holy Spirit. Guys, keep going. Don't quit. As I said earlier, if you break your fast, start right back up the next minute. Ask the Lord for help and strength. And let's contend as a house to have a heart like David and to be a people of one thing. Amen? Would you stand with me? We hope you've enjoyed this episode from Calvary Community Church Podcast. 
For more content and information about Calvary Community Church, please visit our website at calvaryhouston.com.